Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. This show is brought to you in partnership with the Witherslack Group, experts in special education and care. Enjoy the podcast. This is Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to Friday Break with John Gibbs. As since this is a podcast, of course, it may not be Friday when you're listening to this. However, if it is, that's the good news. It's Friday. So you should just play this on Fridays. Join me and my guest, Professor Rose Luckin. And this week, I want to ask what schools are going to look like in the future. How will technology, and particularly artificial intelligence, change schools? Will they offer us opportunities or dangers? This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And so my guest this week is Professor Rose Luckin, the Professor of Learner-Centred Design at UCL Knowledge Lab. So welcome, Rose. Welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Lovely to meet you too. Well, the conceit of the show is that I'm sort of exploring my own career and looking back on teaching and what was before, but I've also been looking forward to talking to you because not only can we talk about the future of schools, but I think during this discussion, I hope, I think that artificial intelligence will help us explore what actually human intelligence is. So the first question I want to ask, what is the difference between artificial intelligence and human intelligence? That is a brilliant question. And it's a really important question too. Artificial intelligence is intelligence that is performed and we can see in the way that technology behaves. So artificial intelligence is about technology, machines, behaving in intelligent ways. And we recognize them as intelligent because we see ourselves as intelligent. So we compare what the machine can do and say, if this was being done by a human, would I consider this to be intelligent? That's the sort of acid test, if you like. Now, academics will spend ages debating the precise definition of artificial intelligence, but it's fine for most purposes to think of it in that way. But artificial intelligence cannot do all the things that humans can. So there is a big difference between artificial intelligence and human intelligence. Artificial intelligence comes in two main flavors. There are lots of sub flavors. Mm -hmm but there are two main types of artificial intelligence. One is affectionately referred to as good old fashioned artificial intelligence. And the other is referred to as machine learning intelligence. Mm. And some systems use a combination of both. Now, good old fashioned artificial intelligence doesn't learn. So it's the sort of system where somebody writes a program, the system appears to behave intelligently, but it can't improve its intelligence. It can't become more intelligent. It cannot learn. So they're quite fixed systems, generally built on the basis of a system of rules. And as I say, they're very limited in what they can do. The second sort of intelligence is yes. machine learning. And that's similar to human intelligence in that it can learn and it can improve. Yes. So to what extent then does has artificial intelligence taught us about ourselves? Does it hold up a mirror to, to us so that we actually know more about intelligence because we're thinking about what intelligence is? Absolutely. It, it does that for sure. And it also helps us to see, for example, the biases in our own behavior. So, for example, one of the relatively recent mishaps with AI was a recruitment system that one of the large technical companies used. And they were horrified when the recruitment AI only recruited male staff. And the reason that happened was because it was trained on data that was mainly drawn from male employees because the company already employed mainly male employees. 
And so there was an inherent bias in the data set that the AI learned from. And as I said earlier in the, in the show, AI is only really as good as the data that it's trained on and that it then learns from as we interact with it. And of course, the quality of the algorithm, the way that data is processed is important. But if you only give an AI system data about male employees to learn from, it will learn about male characteristics and is then highly likely to select male candidates. So that's an example of where it's really shone a light on our own biases, often biases that we don't realize that we have. But yes, you're correct in the richer sense. It holds a mirror to ourselves and we can use it to understand more about our own intelligence, which is really important. It holds a sort of mirror up to us and says, so you're saying that we have to reflect upon our own unconscious bias. Because Reflecting on your own unconscious bias is difficult because they're unconscious biases. <laughs> it's difficult, and exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so it's good to have systems that kind of highlight those to you and you can then think yes. about how they I, mean, oh, I, I, I do want to talk about the sort of ethics of AI. I mean, there's people like, um, is it Timnit Gebru, the, uh, has written a lot of stuff about, about that, about the ethics of that. So also what I was thinking about was, um, technology changes the way we think about the hierarchy of, of intelligence. So, for instance, at school, at school, an awful lot of stuff yes. went in. I, I can remember practicing handwriting and and grammar and and adding and learning tables. My goodness, all the hours I learned tables, and yet none of that is particularly relevant to me now. I mean, it's handy now and again, but unless it's expanded my brain in some way, I don't know that I've I've, I've really wasted that learning. So, in a sense. The technology changes what we think of is important to learn. So, so in a sense, that, that the technology, all technologies, I guess, print technology taught us about the importance of write, writing and so on. All, every time a technology yes. comes in, it sort of changes what we think of is the right thing to teach children and to learn. Yes. And I think we do need to rethink what and how we, we teach because we do now have systems that actually can perform incredibly well on many of the things that we use to evaluate the success of our education systems. So, you know, passing an exam, as most exams are currently framed, is quite easy for an AI system. And learning tables, well, that's just a cinch, you know. Um, so I'm not suggesting that we don't still need people to understand core um, knowledge. Of course we do, that's really important. But we also need to think about the other aspects of our intelligence that we need to perhaps focus more attention on. So, you know, related to the earlier conversation about metacognition, one of the most important future skills um, that requires metacognition is the ability to be good at learning. Because the one thing we know for sure about the future is that things are going to keep changing and that we're going to constantly need to change our skill sets learn how to new, do, do new things. And so it's really important that we as humans become good at learning and are very aware of our strengths and weaknesses when it comes to learning, how we learn, how best we learn, who can help us to learn most effectively. You know, what are the resources we can use on our learning journeys? How do we use those most effectively? So being good at learning is really important. Yes, that, I remember um, uh, a debate. It's funny to think of it now, but how teachers objected to the use of calculators, even in lessons, so that uh, you know, it had to it had to be all done in your head. Yes. And re the recognition, actually, the, the skill of using a calculator, especially as it became more complex, was actually an important skill in itself. So now it's taught how, how to use your calculator yes. sort of correctly. Uh, but there is, but there is a sort of it's resistance really to those things, aren't there? Because we you know, another debate that's always going, it returns, it returns, it returns, is, is the importance of knowledge generally about learning facts in education. But since sort of Mr. Gradgrind and facts, 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 all the way through education is sort of facts. How important is knowledge? If I've got an internet with all the knowledge in the world at my fingertips, how much do I actually need to remember? Oh, no, so that's really interesting because for me, what the internet provides is not knowledge. It provides information. Yeah. 
the facts that I can then build into my knowledge because I can see how those facts relate to my world and build my own understanding of the relationship between those facts and my world, if you see what I mean, so that I, I build my knowledge. I always remember many years ago, probably at least 10, walking past the British Library and they had a big poster outside and it said, knowledge freely available here. And I thought, no, that's not true. Information is freely available here, but people need the skills to know how to turn that information into knowledge and even more so into wisdom. Yes, yes. You know, so I think we do need to be aware of that and aware of the fact that our intelligence is about a lot more than facts. And these days, yes, you can look so many facts up, but also what is a fact? What do we know for sure? What was a fact 200 years ago may not be a fact now if we think about you know the changes in physics for example pre-newton post-newton there were days many many hundreds of years ago when people genuinely believed the world was flat that was a fact in their world we know it's not so even with facts there are things that will change as we learn and understand more about our world, about the universe, about ourselves. That's such a useful humans. distinction between uh, information and knowledge, the, especially in a world which is saturated with information. And so maybe the knowledge is things like critical yes. thinking and distinguishing between what's, what's true <gasps> and not so true. So important because it's saturated with misinformation as well, isn't it? Sorry, I talked across you, John, but it's saturated with misinformation as well as information. And we need those critical thinking skills. In order to make yes, I actually don't absolutely. I and mean, when I was teaching only a little while ago, I often thought the most one of the most important things was to be able to teach students to distinguish between to to look at the veracity and the and the the truth of things in critically, because th because one of the side effects of technology, of course, is that we have a technology bias. We tend to think because the machine says it, it it must be true. Uh, you know, it's the, the computer says no. Yes. It's kind of like it's on there. And, and even in professions and teaching as well, we tend to overvalue technology if the, if the over ourselves we'll we'll easily surrender our own abilities to machines absolutely, and we'll always assume or not always, but a lot of the time we'll assume we're wrong and and, and not the machine, which is staggering really I think one of the really important areas of artificial intelligence is helping people to understand about artificial intelligence. I don't mean they need to understand how to build AI systems. I don't mean people need to know how to program. I mean that people need to understand the difference between artificial and human intelligence and to understand what AI systems can do and what they can't do the basic principles of how they work without the technical detail so that they know when they really should be challenging that mm, system mm, mm. because actually that system is highly likely to be wrong. That's really important and that's a new area of education that I feel we're not embracing enough. So not only would I say learning to be good at learning is a fundamental skill that we need to develop in people, but I also feel we need to develop that general understanding of what an AI system can and can't do. What is artificial intelligence? And, and we need to start with teachers because poor, poor teachers are left you know, with this huge responsibility for educating people and who's helping teachers to understand AI. And, and yet it's, it's here now and it's getting ever smarter. So it's really important. If you, could just, if you could convince people in a sense, or not convince people, but warn people of the sort of rubbish in, rubbish out we were talking about earlier, that that there that exactly. take, take a skeptical or critical or at least a very evaluative view of the of the of the of how you're using that data. Uh, so if if yeah, so if we're Absolutely. gonna live in an AI world, we need to become sort of AI literate in a way, don't we? We do, we do. I have actually written a book called AI for school teachers. With us, with a head teacher. My own view is that that is that often 
um, as we lived in a data rich world, increasingly data rich, it um, was often misused by teachers actually quite badly. And, uh, you know, and the teachers yes. who gave up trusting their own intuition, particularly about as, as assessment of students. So assessing a student as well, I, he's doing very well, he could do better or so on, was actually not that far removed from the, the increasing data world of capturing. But the worst thing I think was that schools were taken over Absolutely. by the necessity to capture the data without there necessarily being a production at the end of it. So we spent a lot of, a lot of time recording. Yes. And not a lot of time doing. That's so interesting. That's so interesting, John. And yet now I would say one of the key areas where I believe we can help teachers and educators more broadly understand AI is by helping them to see how the data they have at their fingertips, both data they've already collected, but data they could collect and have might be used by an AI system to learn. Because I feel in order to help people understand about AI, one needs to contextualize it in a world that's familiar. So if I'm a teacher, I think it's easier for me to understand understand about AI if it's explained in my world, if you see what I mean, through issues and challenges and situations that are relevant to me. And so thinking about your example of data, I find when I'm talking to teachers to try and help them understand a bit about how AI works, but importantly about what it can do therefore and what it can't do. Using examples of data they're familiar with or situations they're familiar with, and then looking at, well, what, what could AI learn from this data? is quite a good way to help people understand how an AI system works and what comes out the other end, if you see what I mean. So maybe some of that data could now be useful in a different way, not perhaps for the way it was originally I know that you've, you've talked about, seeing you online, talking about the way in which developers of AI and teachers need to communicate better in a sense that developers don't know about teachers, teachers don't know about AI. Yes. Uh, what, what should AI developers know that teachers know? Oh, so much about what it's like to work with learners. I mean, I have now worked with over, well, hundreds of companies over the years, not all of them developing AI, but all of them working in the education space, some of them developing AI. And on so many occasions, what they believe is a problem that their technology is going to solve isn't actually the core problem that needs solving. And I think that's particularly risky with AI that people see a smart piece of technology and then think, how can this be used in education? Rather than thinking, what are the real challenges we're facing in education? How could AI help us with that? which is the right way around. So I think that's why I feel it's really important for developers and teachers to be able to work together. Because I think developers need to appreciate what the real challenges of a classroom are, of a particular student group who may have particular needs that, that, that mm. have to be met by the teacher. So it's about getting the conversation the right way around, not having the AI looking to see how it can be used in education, but having the educational challenges driving the ways in which AI that, is that being developed. That keeps the AI as a sort of, in a servant relationship rather than a master relationship. So it's, you're, 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 you're not serving which machines. is what it should be. That's sort of Neil Postman danger that, you know, the world's going to be taken over by the, well, not taken over, we will end up which again, I think I have experienced to some extent the the collection of data becoming more and more important in schools. So that you having a spreadsheet well filled and knowing what, so you can identify this particular thing area is failing. That particular classroom is not very. That particular subject's not doing so well. But then knowing what to do about it, you found you've used up all all the time has been taken up data collecting without enough time to solve the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. And actually, in a lot of cases, data collection can be really well done 
by AI systems and can be very well analyzed by AI systems. And it's a place where we can save humans a great deal of time. It's also an area where ethics becomes. I'd love to ask you about that in a way, because one thing, when I started this series of, of, of shows, I said to my I said to the teachers out there, I said, well, one of the things that would strike anyone traveling in a time machine from Dorian times to today, they they would be, you know, de- de- deeply disorientated by much in our society, but take them into a school and they might feel at home. Even today, they'd see the whiteboards and the projectors won't be a bit alarming. But generally speaking, schools are as they were and exams even more so. You can use AI to observe different sorts of skills more accurately in students. How's that going to change the way schools operate? Can, can we can we teach differently, uh, different things? We can, but we have to be motivated to do that. And I think the key issue you've already talked about, and that is exams, the way that we evaluate learning drives the way that learning is done and until that changes then it's very hard to change anything else it's as simple as that and it and it's a very difficult and challenging issue to change an assessment system because it's been demonstrated to have worked and been in place for very many many years it's hard then to accept that actually it's no longer fit for purpose, especially when lots of people have gained those qualifications and you don't want to devalue what they've achieved. And and as a parent, of course, you want your child to get that qualification that's going to get them to the next stage in their life. So it's incredibly complex. I was very struck when I was helping the Education Select Committee some years ago on an inquiry that... um, Rob Halfen had commissioned, and Rob Halfen, of course, is now back in a ministerial position in education, so that's quite interesting, um, about AI and the future of work. And I was very struck by a delegation that we met from um, Taiwan, a very different system, obviously. And they had, what I thought, made an incredibly sensible decision, which worked for them in their system. They had a, a single type of university entrance exam and therefore they decided they would change that because if they changed that the thing that everybody was aiming for then they could change the rest of the system and i thought that was very very smart now of course not all systems are quite as unified in the way that that one was but the principle is interesting in that until you change the way you're measuring the success of a system how do you change that system? Because that system is always trying to meet those success criteria. Mm. So you can only really change the system if you change the success criteria. And in the case of education, that's incredibly yes, I think that's, difficult to I do. I really couldn't agree with you more there. I, most of my career was spent in sixth forms and it, it became dominated by, well, by almost, for, as the years went by, more so dominated by the exam at the end. So students from the almost day one of the course would say, is this in the exam? Is, is this, what technique do I need to learn this? And so you realise that the tail was wagging the dog. It wasn't really a tail at all. We, we were servants yeah. of the exam at yeah. the end. So Absolutely. And I know when I was an undergraduate and I went to university late in life, I had two very small children when I was studying artificial intelligence at university. And I remember being very pragmatic because I had limited time And I looked, I did the analysis of the exam papers and and made a calculated decision to exclude certain parts of the syllabus from my revision because I didn't have time to do it all. And I had to take that risk. Now, fortunately, it paid off on my um, experience, but it's not good. I'm not proud of the fact that that I had to do that. But that was the reality. Can AI get away from that? I mean, can it produce different ways of assessing or will we simply in the future have, le- have learned how to manipulate the Definitely. AI? You know, in other words, we'll have found our way of putting the right sort of data in to achieve the right kind of results. And we'll, we'll all become too, too literate. At, at, at... Yes. Well, if we, there is a way of doing it where that would be a risk. But I think there's a really important thing that we can do that is not uh 
open to yes. being gamed, yeah. which is yeah. what I think so. you're describing gaming the system. There's a very famous and wise philosopher called Noah Yuval Harari, who's written a series of books. And at the end of his uh, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, which is the third of his trilogy of books, he concludes that we'd better understand ourselves because we, if we don't get to understand ourselves soon, the machines are going to understand ourselves, us better than we understand ourselves. And I think there's a really important point in that. And that is we can use AI to help us understand ourselves better and to help us become more intelligent. We can use it that way because we can use it to track what we're doing, to collect huge amounts of data as we interact in the world, to analyze that and to reflect back to us the effectiveness or not of what we're doing in terms of what we're trying to achieve. There are huge ethical challenges in that space. But the truth of the matter is the machines are going to be set to do this anyway. So we might as well get ourselves in charge of that. So that we can try and make sure that people stay in charge, that people stay in charge of understanding the data that's being collected and analyzed about themselves and that they can benefit because they can understand themselves more. I think that's really important. And it is a way of thinking about AI that can't be gamed. Of course, there are significant ethical issues, which I know we'll come on to later, and we must. But there is a, there is a real opportunity for AI to help us understand ourselves and to make formative assessment a really powerful tool at a systemic level. Because if you're continually formatively assessing somebody and collecting that data and analyzing that data, and you're letting them learn from that as you go and improve and improve and improve, then you have a really interesting record across a system. But there are challenges with that approach. I'm not saying it's a panacea. It absolutely isn't. But the last point in this space, John, I think it's important to, to mention is that, of course, we are starting to get really advanced understandings within the world of neuroscience about how we learn as humans and ways of tapping into brain activity in real time. Now, we are now capable of analyzing what's happening in the brain and knowing whether somebody is trying to generalize a piece of information, for example. So we need to think about those advances as well as thinking about artificial intelligence and realize that those two worlds are increasingly being joined and that there will be AI systems that are being fed real-time data from our thinking and literally being able to look inside our heads. So we need to tackle some of these issues to try and ensure that these incredibly advanced scientific developments are used for our benefit, not for our harm. But we also need to face up to the fact that if we don't consider those big questions and the big challenges with respect to ethics, we could be disadvantaging ourselves from being able to use a technology that could help us to be smarter and help a diverse population to be smarter. Well, that's as well. interesting as well, because I, I actually it's probably a good place to think about that, really, that the one of the problems of it that's been identified with with AI is it's is the the unconscious biases, the way it can discriminate against people, genders, and so on. But it could actually do it could actually do the reverse, couldn't it? It could it could be used to make education more equitable. Yeah. Because at the moment, if anyone said, "Well, I'm very worried about AI because it may discriminate," well, say, "Look at your look at the education system you've got. It's hugely in favour." of all sorts of categories of people yeah. 
of middle class people, children of children of the middle classes. They, they have all sorts of advantages through the system we've constructed. Could AI be more egalitarian? Yes, absolutely, it could. I mean, our equality is reducing. You know, the gap is mm, getting mm. bigger. We know that from recent data. Um, AI certainly could. We have to make a conscious decision that that's what we want the AI to do. Using that example of you know neuroscience, can you imagine the way that we could address the needs of neurodiverse learners, for example? You know, we could really help. We can even without those invasive approaches or approaches that may be thought of as invasive. We can use very good quality. AI software to help students learn at their own pace that these systems are already available out there. So we can already help people learn at their own pace, which can help certain sorts of students more than others. Um, can also help everybody to progress, which of course is what we want. So there is a huge possibility for AI to be an equalizing force in so many different ways. But we have to make a positive decision as a human society that that's what we want to invest in and that we are going to, A, put in place the right kind of regulatory frameworks to assure people of the beneficial outcomes of these systems, but also that we ensure that the population understands enough about these systems because the regulation will never keep up with what the technology can do. So we have to have the human understanding as well. It's a bit like when writing was the usually the hest of the church, you know, most people weren't literate and it was a, it was a held by the authority. We don't want that to be the case with AI. We want people to have the ability. We want people to have mm. that AI literacy so that they're not gated away from important yeah. decisions about their future and not unable to be part of a, a reduced segment of the population that's taking those decisions and that understands these things. So I think it's, it, it is really important that we see it as something that needs to be part of the curriculum, but not in that sense of building AI and the technical understanding. Yes, of course, we need people who want to do that to do that, to build the next generation of AI systems. But that's not everybody. And I worry that people shy away from trying to understand more about AI because they see it as something that will require them to, to develop a technical literacy that they feel afraid of. So the literacy comes back to what we were talking about earlier. The literacy is the is being is understanding what AI is in a in a general sense in a critical sense. What 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 it can do, what it can't do. Yes. Because it's coming. Because it's coming. Because we are going to live yes. in an AI society. So it's all. It's already. Yeah, I was going to say. It's here. It's here. I mean, if you think about. Recently in the news, Elon Musk acquiring Twitter. Twitter uses incredibly smart algorithms to manipulate the information that we receive. There are millions of bots out there that are basically little bits of AI that trawl the Twitter sphere and that like particularly radical views and that manipulates the information that circulated. So we already have that as part of our world, if you like, as part of our knowledge of the world. And the same is true for, for many of the other big tech companies. So it's happening already and, and it's not going to get turned back because apart from anything else, it's making some people a heck of a lot yes. of money. And things that are incredibly profitable rarely and get that, turned that was, back. Okay, I, I suppose that could be one of... The safeguard of a literate of a society that's literate with technology, a safeguarding against that that human tendency to do two things: one, to make money out yes. of things. So someone someone somewhere will look at is always they're doing it now. Look at AI and find a way of making money out of it. And other people, more malign, I'm thinking probably of China, where you uh, have um, we'll, we'll look at social control. 
this, this is what, what a brilliant what a brilliant form of surveillance yeah, power. <laughs> and power it is and that those in sense are the dangerous dangers of the future yes absolutely yes china has a huge surveillance state it knows exactly what people are doing yes and, and they can the even time. go beyond that to look at you know uh, what facial facial expressions which may, may be conformist and non-conformist and yes. reactions to things and so on This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And we're back with my guest, Professor Rose Luckin, the Professor of Learner-Centred Education at UCL. We were talking about some of the dangers of artificial intelligence, as well as its advantages, and some of the new ways it might be used to, for instance, teach and be used in assessment. I looked at an online at a, um, a study you did. I think it was with the uh, Knowledge Lab, and um, where you looked at a group of students cooperatively working, and they had markers on their hands and so on. So they, so the AI, the AI could look at them moving and look at their eye contact, and they were looking at um, how synchronously. I think it's synchronous, how, how well they work. And this was the phrase you used, you said, well, this was brilliant because it was, as, it was as good as the, it was at least as good as a human observer could observe this particular quality, which was to work together, this synchronization, which was, which was seen as a feature of good cooperative work. But we have to, don't you have to be certain that that is a feature of good cooperative work? What, what, if, what if there was another way of working cooperatively the machine didn't recognize? Absolutely. It's just one tiny signifier. Um, thank you for bringing that example up, John, because it, it's, a, it's a useful uh, example to use. Yes, all that piece of research does in a way is say, look, we know that a signifier that you find commonly amongst groups who are good at collaborating is this synchronicity of eye gaze and hand movement. But it's just one signifier, one tiny bit of data. And I wouldn't trust that single piece of data unless it was triangulated with multiple other pieces of data to draw any conclusion. But what you could do is pass that to a human and say, well, look, actually this group has this feature of synchronous eye gaze, synchronous hand movement, hmm. you know, but perhaps more importantly, this group really doesn't. Maybe you want to go and have a look at them. But it's not to say there necessarily is or is not high quality collaboration. It's just one signifier. And you need to collect multiple signifiers. But of course, that's what you can do with AI. You can collect those multiple signifiers and triangulate. But in my view, that shouldn't be used for the system to make key decisions about what those students are or aren't decision aren't doing sorry it should be used to inform an educator who can then make those key decisions and who can decide where their time is best spent so it's a way of helping the educator have a bit of a superpower 
the real eyes in the back of your head, if you know what I mean, <laughs> technically. So you can know. Well, what's that's going almost on the dream, everywhere. isn't it, teachers? So that's, when you think of AI for teachers, think what what, what yeah. would you love to be able to do as a teacher? You'd like to be with every student at their shoulder, or watching them, observing them, helping them all the time. Well, because you know, you've got a you've got a class of thirty, and you yeah. realise at the end of the lesson that you hadn't talked to those lot over there, and you hoped they were okay, and so on. And yeah. So AI does present the possibility of all sorts of extensions of teacher teaching, I suppose. It does. I think it could be the superpower that helps teachers through what are very difficult times in education. We know globally that education is struggling. This could be amazing, but we have to use it wisely and we have to, as I say, and I'm a bit of a broken record about this, we have to help the educators understand enough about it, to feel comfortable with it, to, to know how to make best use of it. Um, we owe them that because it is part of our world. We've just come through the, just in my last year of teaching, I was teaching online because everyone was locked down. And quite clearly the, 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 the students were having a horrendous time. I was a big comprehensive school and they were struggling. I mean, lots of them had, some had computers, some didn't, some had the time to do it, some didn't, some could get access to it, some didn't, and so on. And it, it really was a difficult time for them. What, generally speaking, is our society making education harder? Well, if you look at the latest data from the OECD, across all countries they report about, there's quite a lot of evidence that actually educational outcomes are not improving. It's not just a UK problem. Educational outcomes post-pandemic are not improving. It's taking us longer to recover. And I think a lot of people had a poor experience with technology during the pandemic. And yet without technology, we couldn't have done anything. And I think we do need to learn from that. And we need to improve the way that we use technology generally in education. I mean, AI is just one form of technology. but it is a way of enabling people to access education when they're not able to access it in the way they might normally do so. So I think it is important that we don't pedal back too much on the way that we've developed those skills to help us use that technology more effectively. And actually, we look to see if we can increase the effectiveness of the way that we use technology to enhance the teaching and learning that happens and to and to start giving teachers those superpowers because they have a tough job. Um, they really do. And they're not always appreciated. And the toughness of the job is not always appreciated. I think perhaps many parents started to appreciate the toughness of the job during the pandemic when they were struggling to um absolutely yeah. educate their, their children i think it was probably quite enlightening if we if we were to go ahead in time a little bit and look at look more would will schools look very different i mean will i mean i i remember i think i was in 19 what was it must be in the 1970s being at school when raymond baxter and tomorrow's world came to our school because it was one of the first schools in the country to have a computer and it was a basic, it basically was counting. This thing could count. A friend of mine sat there. We're all very jealous of it because he sat there on television and typed in. It was counting cards and things. It was basically a large adding machine. They said, this is the future. One day, computers like this will probably replace schools, says Raymond Baxter. I remember Tomorrow's World. I loved Tomorrow's World. It was great. <laughs> Didn't always agree with everything, obviously. Um, I suspect schools won't change dramatically because it's incredibly hard to bring about significant change in such a complex system that is providing an incredibly valuable experience for so many millions of people. It's very difficult to experiment, if you like, with that kind of system and bring about significant change. I'm sure there will be changes, but I think there's never, in my humble opinion, going to be an AI system that can replace a teacher. Certainly not in my lifetime, and I don't believe even in my grandchildren's lifetime. Because 
being a teacher is about so much more than tutoring, shall we say. It's it's about building Absolutely. relationships, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's about social interaction. It's about helping students to interact socially together. It, it's just about so much more. And that's not going to change. We're going to need that even more, I think. But I do worry that because AI is largely driven, as, as you've recognized earlier, by money and power, that there will be organizations that present the possibility, the real possibility, that you could have some schools where much of the teaching was done by AI systems. And I think that would be awful. But I could see how economically, in a time of teacher shortage, one might be tempted to see an intelligent classroom where you had less well-trained, less expensive employees, if you like, minding students who used the AI to learn. Whilst disastrous in my view for society, I could see how economically that might be presented. Because there are already programs that teach you learn teach things like languages where you're not actually talking to a human, you're talking to an avatar and so on. So yeah. you just extrapolate yeah, that. Absolutely. There's lots of smart systems out there. And and I can just see the pressure on societies, um, economic pressure on societies, um, and limited financing for education, where perhaps things that if we stepped back for a bit and really thought about it are not the way we want to go, might actually start to look financially attractive. We do worry about that. It's sort of my dystopian future is that you have these kinds of establishments for the poor kids, sorry to be, but you know, for, 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 for poorer families. And then of course, the more well-resourced families are able to experience the, the full fat version of a, a proper rich education with lots of human interaction, which is much more expensive. It's already happening in the sense that if you went to a, um, a, a private school in this country, you'd see the curiously large amount of enrichment, lots of lots of outside visitors, lots of uh, yes. lots of human interaction, lots, lots of, of human interaction, of creative time. And then you go along to your local comprehensive where they're cramming you for the exam because they've, they've got to get the results up. And I and and because AI is good at cramming for the exam, it, it start my horrible dystopian future starts to look like a horrible reality, just gradually seeping in. Because yes, if you want to cram for an exam, an AI system is really good. Which is why, as I said earlier, you have to look at the way you measure success if you want to change the system. And and I worry that AI will be used as this tool for this less equal dystopian type future instead of the tool for the opposite which it can be but as i said earlier we have we as humans have to make the decision that that's what we want and we have to put in place the right safeguards to ensure that's the way that this very powerful technology Thank is used. You. we're coming to the end now and and uh, i love the idea i think this is the, the thing i'm going to season this is the turning teachers into giving them a superpower <laughs> I like the idea. Absolutely. That's what I want AI to do. I, and I'm also encouraged by the thought that um, AI can never quite, re can never replace the teacher because, because one of the lessons, one thing I no. learned, it took me a while to learn it actually when I first started teaching, was that teachers, the students very infuriatingly learned far better if they liked their teacher. And it was, it was just, I did, I thought, why, why do I have to yes. be liked? So when I realised that a sense of humour and uh, creating a relationship was actually crucial to me teaching them, they, they, they wouldn't learn, they would learn so much more. And I think it was a well, yeah, maybe maybe AI, if they've developed an AI sense of humour type machine, then I'm done for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, AI humour Good, humor's we'll hold on, hold on to that. <laughs> they, they, they can beat us at go, Let's but they don't make that. us laugh. <laughs> not humour. <laughs> 
Ah, yes, but that's a really interesting example because you can only beat us at Go if you look at Go in a particular way. My understanding is that Go is not just a game where you win and lose. It's also about getting to know your opponents and it's a it's about social interaction and about building relationships with people. So the AI is really good at getting the score, but it doesn't do anything about the rest. But does it end up winning? <laughs> in the game, but not in oh, the building God. human Excellent. relationships. <laughs> good. Well, hang on to that. Well, thank yes. you. I, I thank you so much for that. That's been a brilliant discussion. That's really enjoyable. Lovely to chat to you, John. <laughs> really nice. But if you have any questions or if anybody asks a question, I'm happy to answer questions by email or whatever's helpful. It's just I'm just really keen for teachers to be interested in AI. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, John. that brings us nearly to an end of the show. I've enjoyed today's discussion with Professor Luckin, and indeed I think I've learned a lot. Some things I've remembered. I remembered that schools, in my quest to understand what schools are for, that schools are for understanding the future, preparing students for the future, and this is an extremely difficult thing to do, since the future is a highly unpredictable place. What I learned today is that whatever form artificial intelligence might take, and it's certainly around us in many forms now. We can predict that it will be there. It is a technology of the future. It will probably surprise us. It'll probably be used in ways we don't really like. It's certainly a tool. I like the idea of it being a superpower, something that teachers can use to extend and enhance their own powers. Teachers are powerful in all sorts of ways. When you're stopped in the street 10 years after a student has left school and they tell you that they've never forgotten your lesson, you realise the power you have over their lives. This power could be enhanced. I hope so. That's a very positive thought. The superpower teacher of the future. Using AI to escape some of the problems we face as teachers. The difficulty with attending to the needs of every student. Adapting our teaching to individuals. Taking teaching away from the rigid confines of the classroom. Allowing students to learn at their own pace. Truly at their own pace. With their own individual artificial intelligence machine. Learning from them and with them. The possibilities, it seems to me, are fairly endless. In the future... We can certainly expect more artificial intelligence in the classroom. It might be used to make administrative tasks easier, to give students an individual learning experience, to act as a tutor to each student, determining what each student is struggling with and giving them a personalised intervention. This kind of artificial intelligence isn't science fiction, it's here right now. Scientists in Spain have begun testing robotic tutors that can identify students' cognitive state and redirect them accordingly. In the United States, education technology company Newton recently released a program that measures students' prior knowledge and assigns them lessons based on its findings. Each activity is specially tailored to the skill level of the specific student. While this is all good news for teachers, a host of dangers await as well. Ethical problems and the lesson from history is that technology is often misused for commercial interests or for control or increasingly for surveillance. Anyone who went through the, the algorithm fiasco a few years ago will know the possibilities and dangers that lie in taking technology a little too seriously and trying to manipulate it to preconceived ideas about what is quality education and quality schools. Schools fed into an algorithm that biased those schools 
who'd shown success in the past, inevitably biasing schools with advantages and giving them more advantages. And it's certainly true that AI will reflect the human beings that made it, rather more alarmingly than we might wish. What is also certain is that there won't be robots replacing teachers, not anytime soon, and indeed not any time. But schools might change, buildings might alter, lessons might take place more in the home and at different times. It'll certainly augment the classroom and change it. More fundamentally, it might change our perception of our own intelligence, what it is to be human in fact. It might move us away from a narrow understanding of what intelligence is, how we measure it and how we value those people with intelligence. It's possible that at last we might move away from the exam room, the scribbling hushed students, the stern invigilator and move to something more personal, more creative and more fun. And the most important thing is to be ready. And the way you prepare students for that is by giving them the power of critical thinking. Understanding the context of new technologies, understanding their strengths and weaknesses, understanding their limitations, creating a technologically literate society. Not just students, but parents and teachers, so that we can evaluate and be critical, understand the limits, avoid misuses, and embrace the strengths and possibilities of artificial intelligence. Each week I'm coming closer to understanding what I think what schools are for. I can't say I'm encouraged I suspect that because we imagine schools can solve social problems, because we see schools as places which can correct the things we don't like in society, because we want schools to be both backward-looking, establishing the traditions of the past, giving students an understanding of their culture and the values and attitudes and customs and manners we hope they would have, and at the same time preparing them for the future, a world that's unpredictable. Schools are places of impossible contradiction. But I think I understand more than I did. If you've enjoyed today's discussion and you have some questions for Rose or for me, this program will this podcast as it were will go out live that is to say it'll be a recorded podcast but i'll be sitting there lurking in the background ready to answer questions should you text them in also if you have questions that can be brought up in future shows i can pass them on to rose or indeed any of other guests you may have heard over the last few weeks these can form the basis of future discussions or possibly phone-ins when the show is live if you have enjoyed today's podcast, you can find it on Spotify, on Podbean and on Teachers Talk Radio site. Please share it on your social media. If you want to listen to past episodes, they're also on Spotify and the other sites. You may wish to listen again to Dennis Sherwood explaining why most exams in this country are fairly unreliably marked or Lee Elliott Major, exploring inequality in the school system and indeed social mobility. And we wondered together why all schools aren't good schools. Or some weeks ago, the wonderful Roy Nevitt, inspirational drama teacher, explaining the power of drama. If you think you can help me understand what schools are for and you'd like to be a guest on the show, please contact Teachers Talk Radio. Or you can simply join me at 11 o'clock on Friday for the Friday break with John Gibbs or listen to the podcast thereafter. 
wherever you are, in whatever kind of school, in nursery or in sixth form, in college, in further education institution, in university, as a parent or a student. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.